Good morning from me. As Tim said, um, thank you so much for uh, partaking in this offering today. I know that a number of people will be uh, doing that online. And uh, just to say thank you so much for trusting us, as Tim said, but also for trusting God and going again. And we do really expect God's got uh, great things ahead for us as a church. We're thrilled, really, as elders at the growth in our church, not just in the number of people who are calling this church their home and their family, but in the growth in generosity that we're seeing as a church uh, and in the growth in expectancy that we're, uh, we're experiencing of what God's going to do through us. I really do believe that, I, I don't know, over these last few years as we've um, given into this uh, building project that our expectancy is growing. God's got big things for us. And, uh, and I, I really believe that's, that's happening. That even if, even if the building was to fall down tonight, that God's done great stuff in us. And it's not going to fall down, okay? But even if it was to, God's done a, a stuff in us as a church that is so important. And uh, he's growing our expectancy for what uh, he's going to do amongst us um, in, the, in the years to come. Wonderful. Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 today, and we're going to look at what you need when you're in despair. What you need when you're in despair. Now, I don't know if you've ever planned a surprise party for someone, and uh, a few days before the party is about to uh, come around, you speak with the person for whom you're planning the party, and they say, oh, do you know what? I don't really think I want to have much of a party this year. I think I might just have a quiet night in. Or I might just invite a few friends over, just have something quite low-key. And all the while when you're having that conversation, in, within you're thinking, shall I reveal the secret? Shall I reveal what's actually happening? Shall I hold back? And you kind of have this uh, debate within yourself, shall I speak up or not? I think Jesus has one of those moments in the passage that we're going to look at today. Because as we're going to see, uh, it's, it's resurrection day. Jesus has risen from the grave and he comes across to guys who, uh, we, we, we're told God uh, hides from them that the, the man uh, before them is Jesus, and they're very, uh, they're very low, they're despairing. And all the while in this conversation, I expect Jesus is thinking, when shall I reveal to them the secret? Shall I tell them now or not? It's an amazing story, but it will, it will help us to understand what we need when we're in despair. So let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. Now, and we're going to read verses 13 to verse 36. That same day, so this is resurrection day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along. They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Nazareth they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. 
Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. And then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. These two followers of Jesus, Cleopas and the other guy whose name we don't get, they were, as, they were about as despairing as it's possible to be. The, the, the words that we see here in this version say that they had sadness written across their faces. It might be that in your version it says they were despairing or they were despondent. Other words that could be uh, used to describe what they were were depressed, embittered, low in spirit, They are as low as you can possibly be, and they are distancing themselves from the people of God. They're distancing themselves from the other disciples. They're going to Emmaus, seven miles away from the rest of the crew are. They're walking away despondent, completely destroyed, crushed within their souls. And yet, Jesus is pursuing them, and they don't know it. Jesus is pursuing them. Why are they so despondent? Well, verse 21 gives us a bit of a clue. We see that they say, we had hoped. They had had hopes and expectations about who Jesus was and what he was going to do that Jesus didn't meet. They had hoped that he would be like Moses in the sense that Moses freed or, or led the people of God out of Egypt when they were enslaved to the Egyptians and to this wicked ruler, Pharaoh. They had hoped that Jesus would do the same with regards to leading the people of Israel out of oppression from underneath the Romans. That's what they had hoped. They had expectations and hopes of Jesus that he hadn't met. They had hoped that Jesus would, in some ways, make their life easy again. That they wouldn't, wherever they looked, be seeing Roman soldiers kind of bossing them around on the streets, calling them awful names. That their country might somehow be great again. That it might somehow be powerful again, have some influence again. That they might even have some more uh, affluence instead of putting all their money into the tax collectors. That the Romans would get richer and richer. They had hopes of Jesus that he hadn't met. And so they're downcast, they're, they'd had their hopes pinned on Jesus, but they were crushed on the cross. Just as Jesus was there, their hopes were crushed. And I wonder if that's the case for 
some here today. I wonder if you maybe have had some expectations of Jesus that he hasn't met. I wonder if you thought when I came into this Jesus deal, when I started coming to church, maybe even when I'd made some sort of step of commitment to Jesus, maybe you had thought life would get easy. Maybe you had thought that he would deal with your debt problem. Maybe you'd thought that he would somehow deal with the broken relationship that you might be in. Maybe you thought he would heal a sickness that you've had for years. Maybe you thought that he would make you popular. Well, you've struggled with people in the past. Maybe you thought, well, he'll help me get popular. He'll help me get friends. Maybe he'll help me to deal with some anxiety issues I've got. And you might be thinking, I don't think he's kept up his side of the bargain. I thought he promised me these things. And and I don't think he's done it. And maybe you're despairing. Maybe something's happened to you recently and you're downcast within and you're thinking, God, you didn't keep up your side of the bargain. Maybe you thought there was some sort of contractual deal here, that you do certain things for God, you turn up on a Sunday, maybe you give some money, or you uh, pray some prayers every day. Maybe you thought there was some sort of contract deal here, and now, God, you're not keeping up your side of the bargain. And I'm in this rubbish situation. Maybe you're despairing. Maybe that's the situation you're in today. Maybe you had expectations of Jesus that he hasn't met. Maybe these were things he didn't actually promise you, but you thought, if I do this, then he will do this for me. Maybe you're even doing what these disciples did, and maybe you're walking away from the people of God. Maybe you're here even today. It's possible to be here today, but in your heart, be distancing yourself from the people of God. Either through shame, because you just know, I shouldn't feel like this, Or maybe through kind of bitterness and giving God the cold shoulder. Well, I'm just going to walk away. This is the way it's going to be, God. I don't want anything to do with church. You could be here today and still be in that place in your heart. You could be watching online and still be in that place in your heart. Because we we can be doing the religious stuff for all kinds of reasons, can't we? Keep up appearances. What would people think if I wasn't there? What would people say? What would it be like for my spouse if they went on their own? Or my kids, what would they think? You you can kind of be distancing yourself from God and distancing yourself from the people of God out of this place of despair and discouragement. And listen, the Bible is is very, very real about what we might call spiritual depression. I was astounded that Luke brought those scriptures earlier on from Psalm 42. Because as I was preparing this message and as I went back to my notes last night, God gave me that passage to share with you. And Luke didn't know that. That the Bible is so real about what we might call spiritual depression or despondency. The Psalms are full of songwriters like David and others asking God, Why? Why is this happening? Why did it not work out as I had hoped? And Psalm 42 is one of those places where the psalmist says this These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So this psalmist is recalling the times when he was a worship leader. He would get there to the assembly and lead people in song. 
fists pumping the air and the big guitar solos and just, it's all glorious. And it was full of faith and passion and exuberance. And now, why is my soul so disturbed within me? Why are you so downcast? It's okay to ask why, friends. It's okay to ask why. In fact, you should ask why. You can ask God the big questions. But it mustn't end there. What you need when you're in despair is to talk to yourself. It's to talk to your soul. What you need is for your soul to be awakened by truth. What you, what you need is, is for your soul to hear some things that would bring it out from its place of despair and into a place of faith once again. This is what the psalmist does here. He speaks to his soul. You need to feed your soul. And a great preacher from the last century, a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And this is what he writes. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou downcast, my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. <laughs> There's something of addressing our self with truth. That's what we need when we're in despair. We need the truth. We need the truth of who God is and of what he's done for us. That's what we need. And Jesus, he's so kind, he does it for these disciples. He does it for them. He takes them on the greatest Bible study there has ever been. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there as they walked this seven-mile journey? This three, four, five hours it may have been. Jesus just unpacking for them the whole of their Bible. So when you read in this passage, it talks about the, the books of Moses and the prophets. It's talking about the whole of what they would have known to be their Bible, the Old Testament, all of the scriptures. And he's showing them bit by bit that it's all about him. It's all pointing to him. It's not about anything else other than it's about him. All of history has always been and will always be about him. That's what he's showing them as they walk this road. It's all about him. It, he's pointing them afresh to him and the, the fact that the scriptures speak of him. Right from Genesis, right through to, the, to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. He would have shown them in Genesis as Adam and Eve uh, sinned as they, the, the, the first humans, as they turned their back on God, as they disobeyed God, how God had come to them and had promised them that a descendant, a descendant of Eve, the woman, would one day come and do battle with the serpent, that he would one day crush the head of the serpent. They, he would have spoken to them of the promise that came to this man called Abram, who was really old and had, who, who had no kids, and God came to him and promised him your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the grains of sand on the beach. And through your people, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless your people, and through your people, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. 
Speaking about Jesus, the descendant of Abraham that, that God's blessing would be on and through whom the whole world would be blessed. The promises that came to David when God said to David, there's going to be someone on your throne and your lineage that's going to reign forever. There's the promises in the Old Testament and there's the characters that foreshadow Jesus. They, they kind of give us hints about Jesus. And when you look at them and you think, man, that looks a lot like Jesus. You've got Isaac, the son of uh, Abraham. That's what Abram gets renamed. He gets called Abraham, father of many. And Isaac is um, obedient to his father, even to the point of going to lay down his life. Goes up a hill with wood on his back, ready to be a sacrifice. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he didn't succumb to death. And there's others like Joseph who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him, like the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. Gets thrown into a pit, left for dead. Others think he has died. It's, it's a pointer towards the fact that Jesus would come and truly die and be in the pit and rise again. And this Joseph rises, as it were, to become the prime minister of Egypt and is now a blessing to the ones who even put him in the pit in the first place. And then we see again and again characters that point us to Jesus. Moses, who through many great miracles saw the people of God taken out of slavery and oppression in Egypt and into freedom. And even in that story, there's this amazing uh, story of the Passover, which we've covered on numerous, numerous occasions before, where the final plague that God unleashed upon the Egyptians in order that Pharaoh might let his people go was the angel of death passing over the households of Egypt, taking the, the life of the firstborn son. And the way that the Israelite people were to avoid that same fate was to take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb and paint the blood over the doorposts that their, their household might be safe. That's pointing to us, Jesus, pointing us to Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood would be for us protection from the wrath of God and cleansing from all of our sin and wrongdoing. There's, there's pointers to Jesus throughout. There's Joshua, the great captain, who leads his people, who defeats the enemy and brings them into the promised land. There's King David who faces down the, the, the giant Goliath. And, and King David didn't really look like much at all. And we read of Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus, there wasn't much about him that made him look remarkable. In fact, others thought, who is this guy? He just hangs out with sinners. And yet he defeated the evil one. Just as King David, it didn't look much, didn't look much about him, he defeated Goliath, this giant. And it's, it's as we, we come to the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that these things become clear. It's a bit like when you watch a film with a big twist at the end. You might be able to think of some films like The Sixth Sense. That was the one with a big twist at the end. And it's, you can't watch that film in the same way again. You, you go back and watch it and you think, oh, Bruce Willis was dead all along. Like That changes everything. I've ruined it for you now. But it changes everything. You suddenly realize, oh, that was pointing towards that. And all of the clues suddenly look like they're pointing towards that ending. But I didn't see it before. And now I see. Listen, when we see Jesus having risen from the dead, having fulfilled all of the, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, we see that all of it was pointing to him in the first place. It's all coming to him. And this is why when we, when we teach the Old Testament here, we always want to see, amongst the many lessons that we'll see in there, we want to see how it's pointing towards Jesus. 
how it's anticipating Jesus. Jesus is really wanting to paint to these despondent, despairing disciples, it's all about me, and my plan doesn't fail, and I'm in control, and I'm towering over your fears and the things that make you despair, and I'm the one who can satisfy, even with the things that you had hoped I would do for you, I'm more satisfying than that. I satisfy fully. It's all about me. Jesus is wanting them to see this clearly. He's wanting their souls to be awakened to the truth. That's what we need, friends, when we're despairing. It's not go and bury our face in a box of Pringles. No, we need the truth of God. It's not, I'm just going to go and mindlessly put my, 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 my face in front of Netflix and watch four hours of some series. Now, that's not going to awaken our souls. We need the truth of God and who he is and what he's done. This is what awakens our souls when we're in despair. This is what we need. Now, what a contrast. Where they were, there was sadness written across their faces. Now they're saying, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't there was something so wonderful about it when he opened the Bible up to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? That's a big contrast, isn't it? That's as contrasting as it is from that psalmist who was the worship leader, fist pumping the air and, and rocking the place with his praise of God to, I'm so depressed. Why are we so, why am I so downcast? This is as contrasting as that from sadness across their faces to, didn't our hearts burn within us? Their souls have been awakened to the truth. This is what you need when you're in despair. You need your souls to be awakened to the truth. You need to speak to yourself. You need to remind yourself of the truth. You need to be in this word. And we see that they had their hearts burn within them. And what happens is they want to go and tell everyone of what they found. They want to go and tell everyone. They suddenly they rush down their dinner and they head back to Jerusalem another seven miles. And they get to the disciples and say, guess what? Jesus is alive. They're like, yeah, we already know. Peter's already. And they're thinking, did we need to make that journey in the first place? But then Jesus appears amongst them. He's disappearing and appearing a fair bit at this point. It's like his resurrection body is something else. He can just suddenly appear in the room. It's glorious. But they've gone from despondent to everyone needs to know about this. Everyone needs to know about the hope that there is in the risen Jesus. So where are you at today? You're probably feeling very hot because it's very humid in here and you've got your masks on and it's not the most comfortable. But where are you at today? You might be, you might be despairing because some things have happened, some, you've received some news or you've kind of just been in this pit really of depression. Maybe that's where you're at today. Listen, what you need is not to distance yourself from the people of God, but to come back in. What's your, what's your direction of travel in that? Are you, you you're pushing into friendships and relationships with people in the church? Are you saying, I need to be with the people of God who will encourage me and point me to the truth? Or are you kind of distancing yourself? Because that's a possibility, even if you're here today. You need to be in this word. You need to be in, in the word of God. That's what's going to lift your soul. It's going to lift your eyes again. It's going to lift you out of that pit of despair. Maybe you're not much of a reader. You can listen to the Word of God. You can download it. We can help you do that if you don't know how to do that. You can be around others that speak the truth to you. That's what you need. If you're in despair today, that's what you need. There's nothing else that you need. There's no amount of binge eating or binge watching or 
afternoon naps. <laughs> Although an afternoon nap is very good for you, I prescribe it. You need to be in the truth of God. You need it. Maybe you're doing well today. Maybe you think, you know what, I'm actually, I can't relate to this because I'm actually in a good place. I wonder if you might help me and help us as elders to pursue some people like Jesus did. He pursues his disciples, doesn't he? He goes on the long walk with them. He's able to even hear their complaints. He doesn't just say, guys, just stop this for a minute. There's some things you need to know. No, he hears them out. He hears out what's going on. You can hear them. You can hear the wise. You can, you can listen to the wise and offer a tear, offer a, a tissue for the tears. You can offer a tear as well. You can cry and weep with those who weep. You can do that. But you've got to point them to the truth. There's got to come a moment where you say, come on, let's see again. Jesus is risen. He is reigning. He's in control. He is sovereign over all things. He's the one who towers over this situation. It's not too small. There's nothing too big, nothing too small for him. He wants to do you good. You can bring people back to the truth. It's all about him. It's all about him. His purposes will never fail. He's promised you some things and he's faithful to deliver. Bring them back to the truth. I wonder if you might help us in this. Help us to pursue some people. Because whilst we're thrilled that more often than not now our Sundays are fully booked, we know that this is nothing to compare to what we would be able to gather if we didn't have all these restrictions in place. And there are a number of people who have not yet come back to church. And there's people for whom they've got reasons to be cautious and so on. There are some people who are just in despair and are just completely discouraged and despondent and nowhere to be seen. Maybe you know who those people are. Maybe you might pursue some people and say, hey, what's going on? How can I help? You point them to Jesus, point them to the truth once again. Pray with them. Maybe you're doubtful this morning. Maybe you're here this morning at an invite of a friend and you're doubting, I don't think this is, I don't think this is true. Could Jesus really have, have risen from the grave? Listen, if he didn't, we are wasting our time. There's many other things we could be doing right now. We're wasting our time and we're wasting our money giving into this building project as we look to see God do something extraordinary in and through this church. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our money. We're pinning our hopes on something that is, is pointless. We're to be pitied. If this is not true, you, you ought to pity us. But if it's true, then everything changes. If it's true that Jesus rose from the grave, everything changes. Even if there's some things that Jesus says or teaches that offend you, then everything's got to change if he rose from the grave. Everything's got to change. One of the, the most influential Christians of all time was a man called Saul of Tarsus. He later became known as, a, as an apostle, a, a leader in the early church, and got to be known as Paul. Sometimes you might have heard him called Saint Paul. Well, he was deeply offended by Jesus and deeply offended by this message of his resurrection. Well, probably even more so offended by the notion that the Messiah, the people that the, the, the people of Israel were waiting for, could have been killed on a cross. That was deeply offensive. I don't know if you know this, but the, the, these great prophecies about this suffering servant, people hadn't joined up the dots and thought this might be the Messiah. They didn't kind of work that one out. And so it was deeply offensive to think God's special one, God's chosen one, his anointed one, the Messiah, could be left to die on a cross. That was so offensive to the Jewish mindset. 
And that's why Saul had people who were Christians thrown in prison. He had them persecuted. He had some killed because he was so offended by this message. But one day he encountered the risen Jesus for himself. And even though that whole message offended him, he knew everything had to change because it was true. Jesus had risen from the grave. The resurrection, it means that there is more to life than just the physical. It means that you're more than just a bag of bones and genes. You're you're more than that. And maybe your worldview teaches you that. Maybe your worldview teaches you that you are simply just a body that is one day going to die and cease to exist. The resurrection teaches us there's hope beyond the grave. There's life actually beyond the grave. There's existence beyond our existence in this life. And if it's, tr- if it's true, friends, everything needs to change. Even if it offends you. Even if you think, I can't, ever, I can't ever possibly bring myself to agreeing with that. Everything must change. And I believe that today, Jesus wants to reveal himself to some people here. That even though you thought, I could never be a Christian because they believe this. I could never be a Christian because it would mean this. I believe that as I pray in just a moment, that God's going to touch some hearts. He's going he's to reveal himself to some people. He's going to whisper to some people that he's alive. And maybe even in the days to come, you're going to have encounters. And you're going to know, this Jesus is real. And everything's got to change. I've got to center my life on him. Listen, friends, if, if this is real... If this is true, if Jesus really rose from the grave, then we've got to center our whole existence around him. Everything's got to be centered on him, just as history is all about him, just as the Bible is all about him. Our lives have got to be centered around him. Decisions have got to be made around the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he's king. Everything changes. What we do with our money, what we do with our time, how we speak to people, everything's got to change. And it's a lifelong process. We're not going to be perfect in an instant. The Apostle Paul, when he met Jesus and, and, and was transformed, he, he didn't change in an instant. There was things that God had to chip off him throughout his life. But everything suddenly centered around this Jesus, the risen one. I want you to know him. I want you to know him. I wonder if we could stand to pray together as we close and then Tim will come and, and wrap up. I want to pray for those that are despairing today that are despondent. Maybe that's you. Just, I don't know, lift out your hands to God. Don't be embarrassed about what others might think of you. I find myself in this place from time to time where I've lost sight of some things. Let's put our hands out, say, Lord God, I want to come back to the truth. I want to speak truth again to my soul. Soul, Hope in God again. Soul, trust in God again. He is your salvation. He is your God. He is risen and reigning. He has all authority in his hands. In heaven and on earth, all authority belongs to him. He has good in mind for you. He has good things. He is pursuing you. Soul, wake up. Awake my soul. See again what God has done for you. Maybe you want to just do that around the room. Just speak to your soul under your breath or out loud. Speak to your soul. Soul, wake up. See again the truth. Thank you, Father. Would you lift 
downcast spirits right now? Would you lift despair off of people's shoulders? Would people see again the perspective they need to see right now, Lord God? Would you do that, Lord? Would you do that? Lord, where people are doing well, would it be that you give us a heart to pursue people? Give us your heart for people, Lord. Give us your heart of compassion, Lord. Help us to pursue people. Help us to, uh, in a loving way, go after people and lift their heads to you again. And Lord, where those here are doubtful, where there's people here who don't yet know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Just as you revealed yourself to these followers on this road as they sat down to eat with you. Just as you revealed yourself to Saul of Tarsus and it was a life-changing moment. I pray you'd reveal yourself to people even in the days to come. That they would see Jesus is alive, he's risen and reigning and I can give my life to him. Let it be, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Tim.